Good morning. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Didn't the youth worship do an amazing job? Yeah? Yeah, let's give them a hand. I thought they did great. I loved it. Awesome. So today, we are kicking off our Christmas series. Uh, as you can tell, we have all these awesome decorations out. Uh, we've now changed all the graphics and stuff over. The series is called Away in a Manger. And, and I get the privilege to, to kick it off here today. Um, so the, the over, overall idea of the series is, with the exception of my week, my, I'm the oddball here, uh, naturally, with the exception of my week, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, through the lens of those present at the time uh, of his birth. Now, I get to be the oddball, and I get to talk about someone who uh, was long dead by the time Jesus was born. I'm going to be talking on the, the prophet Isaiah today um, and what he means uh, to the Christmas story. And I, just, I, thought it's, I thought it was really awesome. I think it's a really cool uh, message. But first, I want to talk a little bit about um, our intentions with this series, and, and in particular, my message here today. So we, we, like, we have, always have meetings uh, about what series of stuff we're going into, what we get really excited about, what we're studying about, what God's kind of pressing on our hearts. Um, for instance, really excited for the series we're doing after Christmas. We're doing uh, Jesus and Genesis uh, after Christmas. Uh, shameless plug there. Um, really excited about that one. Um, but we were really talking about this one, and we wanted this to be a, a real Christmas series. right? So often we can get caught up in the, uh, the, the, the Christmas holly jolliness, right? Like that it is what, the most wonderful time of the year. Is it? Parents, can you tell me you're not stressed out? About to lose your mind? Okay, right? And, and, but so often we can get caught up in this, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and, and, and we end up putting on, you know, fake smiles, and we, we get fake excited. But in reality, there is a lot of stress that comes with the Christmas season, right? There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of burdens, a, a lot of anxiety that comes with the Christmas season, and if you're familiar with our church shirts, our church shirt says, real people, real church, real God. Um, and that's what we're about around here is that we're, we're real and we always want to be real. We don't want to ever put on a, a mask in front of anyone. We want to be real. We have real problems. We have imperfections. We are just broken people that have found the one who can put us back together and we're trying to lead other people there that we're, we're real. We're a real church. We, we gather here. We, we make mistakes. I more than anyone. But we're real, and we're just a real family that loves each other, and, and we serve a real 100% genuine God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who came down the earth, an absolute true story that he actually came, and he is really God. And, and in that, through this series and, and through this message today, we didn't want to, to just give another holly jolly Christmas series, but we actually wanted to talk to the, to the real things going on in life right now. And, and I know, just generally, in life, that stress and overwhelm and these, these burdens and like anxiety and depression, these are, these are overwhelming our nation and I know it's overwhelming our church and that we're all facing them. And so we want to talk to the, the, the real you today because I know a lot of us, we're putting on a fake smile, but really we're just thinking, eat your food and get out of my house, right? Like, <laughs> but I love you. <laughs> See you next year, right? <laughs> so before we get started, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for everything you do for us and you do through us, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here in this place, that it would be your words that are heard and your word that is understood, that it would not be me, God. I pray that you would kick me off this stage and you would take over. 
We lift you up here, God. You know the pain and you know the struggles and you know what we're facing in this place today. God, I just pray that you would be here and you would give confidence and hope. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so that I don't have to repeat myself and say anxiety and depression and stress and overwhelm and, and loneliness, and we're going to encapsulate that all in the word darkness, because I think so often when those things kind of take over our lives, it just feels like a darkness has overwhelmed us, and when we're in the midst of the darkness, it's impossible to see the light. So I'm going to use the, the term darkness, and, and as I was preparing this, there was a memory that, that came back to me. Um, from my first encounter with actual darkness. Um, I was seven, so bear with me. So when I was a kid, way back when, we didn't have all the, the, the fancy technology and stuff. Now, like we had Nintendo, which was super cool. Um, that was about it. We did a lot more playing outside uh, than we do today. And, and I remember we used to really get excited about tree houses. Anyone, r- raise your hand if you had a tree house or had a friend who had a tree house. Okay, all right, that's a lot of skid. Okay, so yeah, my tree house was like, we built a platform in a tree, and like, if you didn't fall through, you were doing pretty good, all right? And if you did, we were tough back then. If you did, you get up, you do it again, all right? So one of my friends got this really, really cool tree house, something I'd never seen before. It was like a prefab tree house. Like, you, you, you rolled up, and it was just like this big dome. It wasn't two by fours. It was like plastic, plexiglass, I don't know, it was insanity. And so he's like, dude, come over and look at my new treehouse. And I'm like, all right, we'll do it. And, and so I go over, again, I'm like seven, and, and I go over and he has this super cool treehouse, um, like coolest kid on the block right now. And he's like, yeah, go on inside. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I go inside and he closes the door, because that's what friends do. Um, and he locks it. I didn't realize how peculiar it was until I was preparing the sermon that the lock was on the outside of the door. I don't know where this friend is right now, but I'm concerned. <laughs> but he, he locks me in, and it's then that I realize there's no windows. This is not a, a two-by-four treehouse. There's no slats that you can see out of. The door was, like, pressure-sealed or something. Like, there was no light, at least in my seven-year-old brain, anywhere. And I began to panic. Um, but I started off cool. You know, I'm a super chill dude. So I'm like, dude, let me out. Come on, this isn't funny. Just open the door. And then, you know, when you start to get panicked, you start to threaten when you have no real power at the time. Open the door, I'm going to beat your stupid face. You know, like, you should really let them have it. And then, and, and then I, I kind of broke, lost my cool. Uh, I, I remember, like, falling back and kicking as hard as I could the door. Um, not only did I kick, uh, but I began to scream and, and to cry. You know, won me a whole lot of cool points. Uh, and finally, my friend relented, and he opened the door. Not out of concern for me, mind you, but because he didn't want me to break his treehouse. Um, and, and he let me out. And I remember, like, I was seven. I was, you know, seven or eight, in that range. You know what else I remember from that age? Pretty much nothing. Possibly, like I said in first service, possibly cooking ramen on the stove for the first time, but it was the same house. I don't know if it was the same age, but that was life-changing. Um, but I remember nothing else from that time. And, and I want to think, because I was seven, I was young, it was, it was a traumatic experience. It just, that feeling, I had that feeling for the first time, I would say that was the first time I ever felt or encountered anxiety. Because it wasn't necessarily the darkness, but it was the hopelessness. It was that there was nothing I could do to escape the burden that I was in. There was nothing I could do to get out of the treehouse. That I could fight and I could scream and I could cry, I could lash out, but I was stuck and there was no 
hope. Now, I think the reason I remember that is because I remember the feeling. Because I've felt that feeling a lot more since then. But it's had a lot less to do with physical tree houses and physical darkness and a lot more to do with emotional darkness and, and spiritual darkness and, and just overall pain that comes in life. That I felt that feeling. And I bring that up and I'm so honest with you guys because I have a feeling I'm not alone. That there's someone else here that you know that darkness I'm talking about. You know that overwhelming, that fighting for your life, screaming and crying and lashing out, but there's no power there. You know that feeling, and maybe you're in it right now. And that's why I thought Isaiah was the perfect book to talk about that. Because what's going on at this time? I was just given the book of Isaiah. That was my, my whole, uh, whole agenda here. So it's a very vast book. It's like 68 chapters, okay? But what I found to be the overarching theme in the book of Isaiah is judgment and hope. Judgment and hope. You see, Isaiah was a prophet, and he was the prophet through the reign of four different kings. But through every single king, they, they, um, through every single king, they failed time and time again. Through every king, they made mistakes, they fail away, they lost hope and trust in God. Through every king. And so Isaiah seen this time and time again. And so Isaiah began to, to prophesy. God gave him words for the people. And these were words of hope. And, and, and I think this is so relatable to us today because a lot of times we get caught in seasons of darkness and it feels like there is no hope. And, and that's how these people would have felt at this time, because they would fall away from God, and eventually they would be taken captive by, at one point, the Assyrians and by the Babylonians. And, and basically, they were exiled. What this would look like today is if you were at home cooking your Christmas dinner, you had got the ham in the oven, or however you make ham, I don't know. You got the ham in the oven. You got cookies in the oven. I know they go there. You got cookies in the oven, and, and like dudes come in, they kick down your door, they grab you, your wife, your, your husband, your, your kids, your, your granny, like they grab everybody and they drag you to a foreign country and they basically enslave you. And now you have been exiled from your home. You've been brought to someone else and you no longer have any freedom. You have no power. You don't have no ability. You have no hope. And Isaiah's seen this. He's seen the need with his people. He knew they needed hope. More than that, God knew that they needed hope. So he started to give words to the prophet Isaiah to give to the people in darkness, to the people in exile, to give them hope. And I heard this little uh, illustration this week, and I thought it fit perfect. You can go three weeks without food. It's generous. Three days without water. Three minutes without air. But you can't go three seconds without hope. You can't go three seconds without hope. I read a story this week. Uh, it's going to sound like a bad joke in the beginning, but, but I thought this kind of spoke perfectly of the power of hope. It's about three Jewish psychiatrists who lived during World War II. And uh, so two of them were, were masters in their field, and, and they were teachers, and the other was a young apprentice. So the, the first man is a man named uh, Sigmund Freud, and, and he spent years studying uh, people and reached the conclusion that the, the main driving factor for all of humanity was pleasure. It was pleasure, that, that it was um, why people do what they do, that it was all determined by pleasure. Now the second master was a man named Alfred Adler, and he disagreed with Freud. He said that the most basic drive 
in human nature was power, was power that we grow up inferior and powerless. So when we come of age, we want to regain our power. Now, the third man was an up-and-coming psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl. And now he hoped to follow in the footsteps of his mentors. Um, but about the time he was beginning his career, World War II happened. And, and uh, the Nazis invaded, and it was dangerous for the Jews to live there. But, but Freud and Adler were both renowned scholars, so they were able to escape and, and, and get out of the country. Um, Frankel wasn't so fortunate. Frankel was actually captured and thrown into a concentration camp where he spent the next four years of his life. Now, after the war was over, Frankel survived, and he made it out, and he, 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 began, uh, he resumed his career, but he began to think about his time in the concentration camp. And, and one thing he, he found odd was that it wasn't the people you would expect to survive that survived. Those that came in physically strong and those that were, that were you know, younger and, and, and physical, you would expect them to survive. They weren't always the ones that survived. And so he began to wonder what determined who, does, who survived and who didn't. And he looked at Freud's theory of pleasure, and, and obviously that wasn't the case. For four years, the word pleasure was not even in their vocabulary. They spent time in, in the mud. They, they spent time in, in, in terrible situations. There was no such thing as pleasure in this time. So that theory didn't line up. So we went with Adler's theory. What about the theory of power? But the problem is the Jews had no power at this time. They spent every single day looking down the barrel of a loaded gun. They were literally treated like cattle. There was no power and there was no hope of power. So what was it? And Frankel came up with his own theory. He said the difference between those who survived and those who perished was hope. Those who survived never gave up the belief that their lives had meaning, that despite everything going on around them, it would one day end and they would live meaningful, purposeful lives. So what is the basic human drive? The one thing that gives life value, it's hope. Not pleasure, not power, but hope. Hope for tomorrow. So what are we talking about here? Hope's a very general word. We, uh, we hope we get a good seat at Cracker Barrel. Is that what we're talking about? We hope our football team wins. We hope we can win in fantasy football today and clutch that spot in the playoffs. That might just be me. Okay. Is that what we're talking about? Is, is that the kind of hope that we're talking about? No, not quite. You see, the kind of hope we're talking about is a, a life-changing hope. It's not, it's not wishful thinking. It's, it, it's a hope and a sure thing. And, and, and I found another story, if I can share it with you real quick, uh, that I think sums this up perfectly. Um, there was a young boy. His name was Charlie. Uh, and he was badly injured. Um, and placed in, in a hospital. And in this town he was in, they had teachers that would volunteer and they would go and actually teach um, kids in the hospital so they wouldn't fall behind in school. Um, so Mrs. Smith got the call that she's going to go and, and help out Charlie. And so she does. She goes and she's instructed to help him with his, with his nouns and his adverbs. And, and so she goes, uh, shows up there, and immediately when she sees him, she's shocked because no one had told her that Charlie had been badly burned and, and basically he was in unending pain. Um, and so she went in, and, and she was a little unsettled, and, and she felt bad, and, but she did the best she could. She tried to teach Charlie about the nouns and the adverbs, but she didn't really feel like she accomplished very much. Um, so the next day comes, and, and she comes back, and one of the nurses come up to her, and she, they're like, what did you do to Charlie? And immediately she thought she did something wrong. And she said, well, I just did. And they're like, no, 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 he's a completely different kid. 
It's like he has decided to live. He's responding to treatments. He's being active. He's actually trying. We really didn't think Charlie was going to make it. And so they asked him two weeks later when he was feeling a little better, what was the difference? And, and it just, he came to this simple res, uh, realization is that they wouldn't send a teacher in to help with nouns and adverbs for a dying boy. That he had the hope. It was just a little small hope. But they wouldn't send in a teacher to help him with his schoolwork if he was going to die. And he began to fight. And that's exactly what hope does for us. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of horrible situations, if we can just have that little spark of hope, we can get through it. It gives us the drive to push forward, the drive to fight, the the drive to make it. And you see, this kind of hope we're talking about, this kind of hope is light in the midst of darkness. That's what it is, because I know in my seasons of darkness, it's, it's hard to see anything beyond myself. I remember specifically uh, when, when my mom passed away, it was, it was hard to see anything else, but, but there was just that little light of hope because we were pregnant for the very first time, and, and we, were, we were pregnant with a daughter, and that would change everything, but it was just that little light of hope that I believe God gave to me to get me through one of the darkest situations of my life. It was just a little Light of hope. You so, but there's a couple kinds of hope we're not talking about. We've already discussed one, wishful hope. Wishful hope doesn't really help. I can, I can hope all day that my team wins or that I can beat this anxiety or I can hope all day that the, my wife makes meatloaf for dinner. It's not going to change a single thing. I can hope all day. It's wishful thinking. It might make me feel a little better. I mean, basically, it's spiritual optimism. But it doesn't change anything. So this kind of hope, it's, it's false hope. It's useless. Second kind is miraculous hope. And this one's actually a little bit more dangerous. Because this one is when you're really, really down on your luck. And you just start hoping for miracles. Like It's like, I am broke. I have no money. They're about to come take the house. And so I'm going to spend my last $50 on the lottery. In the words of Dave Ramsey, that's stupid. Okay? Okay. <laughs> I heard it this week that you have a better chance of going to the moon than actually hitting like the, the big lottery. It's kind of insane. That's, that's miraculous hope, that you're hoping that in an instant everything will change. The, the problem and the threat of this kind of hope is that usually when you're expecting a miracle, you'll miss the real hope when it shows up. Because most of the time when God gives you hope, he's expecting a little bit of work too. So it's not going to be a huge, massive change instantly. You're going to hit the Powerball. You're going to, someone's going to gift you a house. Like, it's not going to happen. It's going to come in the form of a still, small voice. But the third kind of hope, this is real biblical hope. It's certain hope. Certain hope. When hope is used in Scripture, it's never used as a wishful thought. It's used as an absolute certainty. And we can have certain hope in Scripture. You see, because biblical hope, it's the confident expectation of what God has promised us. See, the power of this hope doesn't lie in our spiritual optimism. This power, uh, this hope lies in the promises of God. And we can read in Hebrews 6.18 that it says, that it says, that it says, all right, good thing I have it over here. Hebrews 6.18. Technology, man. There we go. So God has, guys, we're real. Did I mention that? So, 
So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Did you catch that? God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, when we read his word, we can have absolute certain hope in what it says because God cannot lie. So when you read the scripture and you see the hope that God is offering you, you can believe it. You can take it to the bank. It's absolute 100% truth. God cannot lie. And I think this is why God over and over again gave promises to, to the prophet Isaiah to give to the people in exile, the people in darkness, the people taken away from their homes, their people enslaved, the people in overwhelming agony that he gave promises. Promises like in Isaiah 40, 29, that God gives strength to whom the weary. In Isaiah 40, 31, the Lord will renew their strength. In Isaiah 41 and 10, that God is with you always. That in Isaiah 41, 13, that God holds your hand. In Isaiah 54, 10, his love will never fail you. In Isaiah 58, 6, he will free you. You see, to people in captivity, to people that are in exile, that are in a season of darkness when they can feel and see no hope, the idea that God would give you strength when you are weary, that the Lord, when you feel like you have no strength left, he will renew it, that God is always with you. When you are scared and you can't move on, he will hold your hand, that when you are lost that he will never fail you and that when you are in captivity and you're in exile and you are in addiction he will free you those are promises of God and remember God cannot lie we can hold on to those promises because God's promises will never fail his promises will never fail you see, he comes through the prophet Isaiah to these people caught in darkness, that they're, they're in exile. They're in probably some of the worst times of their entire life. And he comes and he gives them these promises that he, they will always be with him, that he will always love him, and his love will never fail in the midst of their darkness. And, and I thought this was such an applicable message to go along with the, the, the book of Isaiah because I think in the moments that we are in our darkest times, when, when anxiety and, and the depression and, and just the, the stress of the season begins to become too much, we can cling to the same promises that Isaiah gave to the people of God in this time, is that God is with you, and he is beside you, and he loves you. His love will never fail. He'll be holding your hand, and he will free you, that you can cling to those promises. And, and we, we, we know Isaiah, because in Isaiah, there's all sorts of Christmas prophecies. That's when we'll, we'll typically hear it. And I got to thinking about why that is. Why would God give the prophet Isaiah, above anyone else, all these prophecies about the coming of the Savior? Because people in exile need a Savior. People stuck in darkness need hope. That's why in Isaiah 7.14, God told Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. You see, even back to this time, to the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God already proclaimed that he would send his son and he would literally be God with him, that he would send and he would put an end to the darkness, an end to the death once and for all, and that is coming. You see, but not only did God give the prophet Isaiah the message of Christmas, but he also gave him the message of Easter. 
We can read in Isaiah 53, and it'll be up on the Sky Bible, about the prophecy of the coming Easter when God would free all people. So let's read and we'll talk a little bit about Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth." Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering of sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Can you believe that was written 700 years before Jesus went to the cross? It was written 700 years before Jesus was even born. But God gave the prophet Isaiah the message of Easter, that God would actually send Jesus to come, and that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would be crushed for our iniquities, that by his wounds, you and I would be healed, that salvation would come through the blood of Jesus. It was revealed 700 years before Jesus existed, before Jesus was born, rather. He existed before time. 700 years you see, and I think that's powerful because we can look back today and know those promises were true. Because we can see in Scripture that the Virgin Mary did give birth to a son. She did give birth to Jesus, who would later go on the cross and he would be pierced for our transgressions. That he would be crushed for our iniquities. That he would, by his wounds, we would be healed. We can believe that and we can trust that and we can know it is true. Therefore, since we can believe and trust that, we can know the words of God is true. So we can look at his word and see his promises. We know that God cannot lie, and we can trust his promises even in the midst of darkness. Because even in the midst of darkness, it's so hard to see any sort of light. But we can trust and hold on to his word because we know his word is true. It has came true over and over, time and time again. It has came to pass and it has came to pass and it has came to pass. So how can we not believe that the, the prophecies, the promises that God has made to us will not come to pass? You see, when we believe the promises of God, we can believe scripture like Exodus 14, 14, where it says, The Lord will fight for you. 
You need only to be still. And how can we not believe Isaiah 40, 29 when he says he will give strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak, which is fortunate because I don't know about you, but in seasons of darkness, I've been awfully weary. I've been without strength. I've been run dry. I've been, I don't see a light. I don't see any way out. I am crushed and overwhelmed. But in Isaiah 40, 31, it says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Amen. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Again, in Isaiah 41.10, it says, do not fear for I am with you, which is fortunate because I felt alone a lot of times. But God is telling me right here, he is with me. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God is telling you in seasons of darkness and seasons of burden and stress and overwhelm and anxiety and depression, he is with you always. Do not be dismayed for he is your God. Isaiah 41, 13, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. You see, because some things in life will be too heavy for us to bear. And that's why God says he will take hold of our hand and he will help us. Because some things in life, we weren't meant to bear it alone. Some things in life, he wants to come beside you and he wants to lift you up and he wants to go along with you and he wants to hold your hand and relieve you of fear and relieve you because his burden is light. Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy. We sometimes need to up, up, take our stress and our burdens, the weight off of our own backs and we need to give it over to God and put our trust and faith in him because he is the one who provides hope in the darkness. Isaiah 43 and 2, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now it's unfortunate. It doesn't say when you walk on top of the water, because that would be a little bit more comfortable. Or when it says when you walk beside the river or, or when you walk around the fire. No, God tells us right here that we will pass through some waters. Right? We, are fall, we are living in a fallen, broken world. There's going to be some fires. There's going to be some rivers. The enemy will try again and again to overtake you. But God says he will be with you and that they will not overtake you because he refuses to leave your side. Your God loves you. In Isaiah 54.10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion for you. He's saying this to people in exile, people in darkness, people in situations just like you and me with overwhelming agony, overwhelming oppression, overwhelming anxiety and depression. And, and with a lack of hope, he's telling them, yes, the mountains might be shaken, the hills might be removed, but my love for you will never fail. My love for you will never fail. And my covenant of peace will not be removed from you. You can believe and hope in the darkness because in your darkest moment, in the moment you can't carry on, in the moment the burden you're carrying seems to be too heavy, that's where God shows up. He shows up in the midst of the darkness and he's offering these promises to you. Remember Hebrews 6:18, God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So when he says a promise to you, you can take that one to the bank. You can put all your money on that one. When God gives you a promise, it will come to pass. So in the season of darkness, you need a certain hope, not wishful thinking, not waiting on a miracle. You need to turn to the very word of God. You need to open this up and read the promises of God and wait for it to come to pass. Because if God said it, it will happen because God cannot lie. 
You see, too often we put our faith and we put our hope in the things of this world. Stop putting your hope in this world. Stop putting your hope in a bottle. Stop putting your hope in a political party. For the love of God, stop putting your hope in a president. Stop putting your hope in relationships or in retirement or your position or your job or your money. All of those things can be ripped away in an instant. Place your hope in the only one who is great enough and loves you enough to sustain it. Place your hope in Jesus Christ. It is only He that can fulfill you. It is only Him that you can actually truly place your hope and know that it will absolutely 100% come to pass that in the darkest moments, you can count it every single time because He will never fail you. His promises never fail. And so my message today can be wrapped up in, in this pretty simply. In the moment of your darkest need, in the moment when life feels the darkest and you don't see a way out and anxiety has been kicking your butt for too long and, and depression is so overwhelming and the bills seem to be too much and Christmas isn't going to be like you hoped it was, that you've lost that loved one in those seasons. I know it's hard and I know it's hard to see anything outside of the storm, but know that God is there and he is present. His hand is on you. He loves you and he's saying, be strong, my child. My promises will come to pass. I am watching over you. I am with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I know you feel alone in the midst of a crowd, but I am with you always, no matter what. And you can never do anything too bad for me. I'm a much greater savior than you ever are a sinner. And I am here for you always. I was pierced for your transgressions. By my wounds, you have healing. Come to me. Put your hope in me and trust me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your son, Jesus, that you sent him to live a perfect life that he may be pierced that we may be saved God you are so good and you are so holy I pray that whatever seasons we're in today whatever darkness whatever struggle and pains and regret we're in today I just hope that we know where we can place our hope that we can have certain hope in your word in your promises you are always there you are always present. You are always with us. You will never leave. And you love us and your love will never fail. I pray that you're with each and every person here today, Lord. I lift them to you, that you may be with them, that your Holy Spirit would go out of this place with them and they would have the strength, confidence, and hope of you. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.